Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Welcome to the Torah study this morning. I'm Pastor Scott. I see my uh, beautiful wife, uh, my other half, she went out, I I think she usually has a cigarette about 9 (laughs) a.m. But uh, we welcome you to Torah study. We've been doing this for many a year now, all the way back dating uh, probably to 2007 or 8 in the old building in Irving. And uh, so we're honored to to be your Torah study teacher, and uh, today we're in Leviticus 16 through Leviticus 20, uh, and it's actually a double portion of teaching, Torah study 29, Akare Mot, and number 30, Kedoshim. Uh, are combined together into a double portion. So how many of you just receive a double blessing? Amen. Uh, and it's, uh, it's interesting because we're in this, uh, uh, on God's calendar, we're in this 50-day journey uh, from Passover to Pentecost. And many of you have gone online to Pastor's website, Larry Huck Ministries, or you went to 50days.life. Uh, And uh, got the 50-day devotional that we've put together. It's free. You can still get it. All 50 uh, little bite-sized nuggets of uh, wisdom and truth from Pastor Larry and Tiz. But we're on that journey right now. In fact, tonight is the 29th day of the journey. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, and it's not a coincidence, that uh, uh, during this time we read this uh, Torah study, uh, and God is, uh, downloads into us another set of guidelines and principles to live by. Uh, and uh, actually, in uh, uh, Leviticus 19, which is the beginning of the Kedoshim, Uh, Torah study. In verse 1, it says, Speak to the whole assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so uh, God is calling Israel here. He's calling you and I as believers to be a holy people, a holy nation, a righteous people, a godly people, a moral people. Amen? Do you agree with that? Of course you do. Uh, uh, And here, uh, he says, speak to the whole assembly. He's summoning his people to holiness. And it's important because whether it's Israel or whether it's you and I, Uh, If we're going to fulfill the high calling of God in Christ and we're going to live with the presence of God in our lives, then we need to be holy. Amen. Amen. 
And uh, we're all at different levels, and we're learning and growing and developing, maturing. And it's just part of this, uh, uh, symbolically, of this 50-day journey. And so uh, the word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. And it means to be sacred, to be separate, or to be set apart. Doesn't mean to be weird. Although some people look at some of the godly habits we have in today's culture as that's a weird way to think about it. But it's God's way to think about it. And he lays out a bunch of things in, in this uh, Torah study. Uh, but uh, the concept that you and I need to take away is that God has set us apart for a holy purpose. You and I have a divine calling on our lives. And in order to, to fulfill that divine calling, we can't walk to the, the beat of the drum of this world. Right? We need to be a peculiar people. Again, don't, let's not be weird. Don't be a twilight zone Christian. It's hard to relate. Christians can't relate and the world can't relate. Uh, but... Uh, that special calling, being a peculiar person, means that we're just doing it God's way. And many of the things that God gives us in terms of his laws and commandments are very practical things. They're not super spiritual or pseudo-spiritual. It's not like you locked yourself in a cabin somewhere for uh, up in the mountains and hadn't seen anybody for weeks and months and years, and then finally when you, you're a social misfit. Don't be that guy. Amen? And at the same time, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. We're going to do it God's way. That's our, our, our covenant is we're doing it God's way. And when we do it God's way, that separates us and makes us a holy person. And uh, part of the courage, part of the confidence that we have to live with a unique set of values and standards and guidelines, it requires some boldness, some, some courage, and that's why we have the Holy Spirit. The first work of the Holy Spirit isn't yabba dabba do Jesus rode a Honda. Which is another way of saying, speaking in your heavenly prayer language. The first work of the Holy Spirit is in his first name, Holy be holy. He comes in and builds in us that love and desire to be more like Jesus, a holy person. And again, it's not weird or, uh, you know, pseudo-spiritual. It's just practically we live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God even more than man. Now, uh, if you look at 1 Peter 1, verse 13, the apostle Peter uh, shares uh, this principle of holiness. And notice how practical it is. This is uh, uh, from the Message Bible, I believe. I forgot to make that notation. But Peter says, 1 Peter 1.13, So roll up your sleeves, for those that have sleeves. Put your mind in gear. 
be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. In other words, get ready. Right? Goes on to say, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Amen. So God's call to holiness manifests itself. It pencils out, calculates out in a lot of different ways. We're not going to go through the list of 50 things that God gives in Leviticus 19 and 20. Uh, But I'll just summarize them as a series of commandments that pertain to how we express our faith, our religion. There's moral guidelines, ethical guidelines, which are standards of holiness. They're standards. God has standards. Everyone in Christianity just can't do what's right in their own eyes. There has to be a baseline. The Word of God is that baseline. And that's why so many uh, people are conflicted with studying the Word. People don't uh, carry a Bible anymore. Uh, There's, uh, you know, all of that uh, side of things. You and I are different. We're here early. We're up early seeking the Word, learning the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word to show ourselves approved. But here in uh, today's study... Uh, respecting our parents is tied into being holy, giving steadfast charity to the poor, part of holiness, being honest in business, observing Shabbat, uh, forbidding involvement in the occult. You don't need a horoscope for your word today. You need God's word, not uh, who's the uh, not Cleo. You don't need one eight hundred Cleo. Here, God forbids revenge. He forbids certain sexual relationships. Practical, moral, ethical, religious guidelines that show and demonstrate as we're working this out that we're living a holy life. It's not a weird life. You're not a monk. You're not uh, uh, some kind of twilight zone Christian. You're just doing it God's way. And, uh, and so God designed each of these principles to set us apart and to be a light to the world. Why are you doing it that way? Because that's the way the Bible says to do it. Well, why would you follow the Bible? Because it's the inspired word of God. I believe there's a God. I don't believe in, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. A big God said, let there be light and bang! <laughs> So today's study, which include, we could go in 50 different directions, but uh, the direction I want to go in today 
uh, is in Leviticus 19.17, which is uh, the greatest of all commandments. Uh, And it says, do not bear a grudge against others, but settle your differences with them so that you will not commit a sin because of them. Verse 18, do not take revenge on others or continue to hate them. But love your neighbors as you love yourself. I am the Lord. Why does he add, I am the Lord? That's the first commandment. Nothing else in our Christianity works if we don't respect and honor God as the Lord. It's the first commandment. It's part of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The great rabbis throughout all the generations, including Jesus, have recognized that it's this teaching in the Torah that represents the very essence of what it means to be a Christian or a Jew. Rabbi Rabbi Akiva, a great rabbi in the Talmudic era, said it's the cardinal principle of Torah. And Jesus, when he was, Jesus was in this discussion with somebody about eternal life and what must I do to inherit eternal life and it ended up with Jesus this was part of his answer Jesus replied the most important commandment is this Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad right there in Mark twelve twenty nine, Jesus recites the Shema Listen, O Lord, or O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes on and says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So for both Jew and Christian, loving God, loving people is the foundation of everything we believe and stand for. At least it should be. Amen? Hey, Robert. Loving God, loving people epitomize the, the Torah. Every goal that we have in our lives has to work itself back to loving God and loving people. A lot of times when we get saved, we see people make that decision to convert. They go to the altar call, but it's a struggle because they're just not taught the the basics. Love God, love people. Everything that you do is summed up in this. It's like the golden rule characterizes this, especially on the people part. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. 
Well, I thought the law and the prophets was legalism. No, it's all summed up into loving God, loving people. Treat others the way you want to be treated. All the guidelines, all the standards are meant to work itself back into your life, back to loving God and loving people. And so occasionally it's good to ask ourselves, how are we doing on that journey? Uh, has our Christianity become things other than I'm getting better at loving God and loving people? Now everybody here is walking on water, so there's no worries. Don't, don't fret. Don't feel condemned. <laughs> That's what the 50 days is meant to do. At different times, you know, we let the Holy Spirit take a peek in our hearts Pull back the the layers and say, you know what? If you just made this little adjustment, if you just made that little adjustment, your life would be even more blessed than it is already. Amen. I was was reading an article uh, by Rabbi Zwig. Uh, I think it was on H.com, called a Freudian slip. And uh, uh, it's a fascinating article. If you like to read, you you know, look that up. But part of the article, uh, and it kind of begins this way, where he shares this story about an eminent psychiatrist who's walking down the street, and he comes across a man lying on the ground. And the man was just attacked and beaten and robbed, was semi-conscious, and he was bleeding profusely, and he just lay in there. And the psychiatrist walks by, and he bends down and begins to examine him, and he looks up and exclaims to some other people that uh, are, are now gathered around, My God! Whoever did this really needs help. Whoever did this to this man, he's the, no, the man lying on the ground bleeding and is, you know, half dad's the one that needs the help. And so, as esteemed of a psychiatrist as he missed the point. And what we don't want to do is finally walk through the pearly gates and be told, Scott, you missed the point of Christianity. You never transform yourself and your life into someone who would go out of his way to love somebody else. That's the very core of what being Christ-like is all about. And when we pray, we come to church and we're praying and praising and learning, you know, all of that isn't just for head knowledge. It's for a transforming power in our lives to get us to think about someone else besides ourselves. If we get so caught up in our own lives, there's the danger that we'll get tone deaf to the world around us. We can't insulate ourselves and blind ourselves to the needs of others. If we only see life from our standpoint, we failed as Christians, right? And so this is part of that journey, right? 
We're transforming. It doesn't happen overnight. Jesus said everything works as a seed, and then there's time, and then there's a harvest. Seed, time, and harvest. Hopefully, God will add some miracle grow into our lives, and we'll get on the fast track to seeing a harvest of righteousness and holiness. But it doesn't happen by osmosis, that's for sure. It's because you put out the effort. And a lot of times, you know, Christians get confused about effort because the, the grace message, the hyper grace message is you can't do anything on your own to try to improve yourself or you're negating the grace of God. Excuse me? God's looking for people to partner with him. And, and sometimes it means you got to dig deep. I was digging deep uh, earlier uh, uh, yesterday, Saturday. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going to transplant uh, these bushes because the freeze, some survives, and I got to da-da-da. And, uh, and so I got going on the biggest bush. And my heart is racing. I'm just like, uh, oh, how deep? Deep do I got, you know what, you know, Lydia, come help. (laughs) And, you know, the point is, is that certain jobs, certain things, you got to dig deeper. It takes more effort. You got to exert yourself at a higher level, Right? For me, when I got saved, it wasn't that big of a deal to give up drugs and alcohol. They went down the toilet day one. When we got back from church and the altar called down, you know, I got saved. My sins were forgiven. My loyalties changed. I pledged my allegiance to the Lamb. And I'm not going to let my former life... But what really was challenging were the inner things, right? The... The attitudes, the philosophies, the opinions, the habits, uh, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And part of that is just selfishness, right? Focusing on self. We're not self-centered, we're Christ-centered, right? And that's, I, you know, when we got started, Philippians 2 always spoke to me. Everyone has scriptures that speaks to them. In Philippians 2, 3, it says, Don't let selfishness and prideful agendas take over. Embrace true humility and lift up your heads to extend love to others. I needed that lesson, and God kind of quickened that in my life. But I'm still working on it because, I, I, you know, my fleshly, natural side wants to be a greedy little thing. Just focus on me, myself, and Irene. I mean, I. It's a Jim Carrey movie that I don't watch anymore. (laughs) Verse 4, get beyond yourselves and protecting your own interests, be sincere and secure your neighbor's interests first. That's in our Bible. 
And it it takes a shifting, a transition, a transformation. And believe me, in order to accomplish that, some of you have already done very well and that wasn't that big of a deal. But for me, that was a big deal. I need the Holy Ghost and power to help me keep living that out. Because at the end, I don't want to miss the point. There's a well-known story in Jewish literature about the Gentile who came to Rabbi Hillel. And the the Gentile said to the rabbi, Hillel was uh, Gamaliel's uh, grandfather, and he lived in that generation just before Jesus. Uh, And the convert said, uh, I'll convert to Judaism if you can teach me the entire Torah while standing on one foot. He looked like the guy from, uh, what was that? Yeah, Karate Kid. (laughs) And you know what? Hillel did that. According to the Talmudic story, he taught him the now famous statement, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your friend. And then the guy got converted. He said, the rest is commentary. Go into it because the rest is commentary. So Hillel based his teaching on what we're talking about today. Love your neighbor as yourself. But in rabbinical teaching, the, uh, uh, the question arises, why would he choose to make it a negative mandate? In other words, why did Hillel reinterpret the verse... Uh, uh, in terms of how you're treating others uh, into what one may not do to his fellow man. That which is hateful to you, do not do to your friend. So why does he modify the Torah, the principle of the Torah? And the rabbi, uh, in this article, he, he says that very insightful, I thought. It just really quickened in my spirit as I was reading it. He's challenging, Hillel's challenging the Gentile convert. And, and by extension, we're being challenged to consider something that's often overlooked. In that any time we do something for someone else, for example, an act of kindness, you show compassion, you lend somebody something, you go out of your way to be a blessing, there's a feeling of satisfaction that's associated with that. You're doing something for someone else, and in a sense, part of the deal is you feel good about it. But on the other hand, if it comes down to, I've got this juicy piece of gossip. Or, look, I'm planning on taking revenge on that person for what they did to me. If you exercise any kind of self-restraint, you don't get any pleasure out of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you try to show any kind of restraint at all, it's like you're going to explode inside. Alice to the moon! If you ever watch Jackie Gleason in the Honeymooners. So Hillel is telling us that 
there's a the fullness of loving your neighbor goes beyond what you're willing to do for somebody in order to get a feeling of satisfaction. You're doing it without any regard to how you feel about it. There's a need there. And I'm commanded to love my neighbor. I don't work all of that out emotionally, but I just, I need to act on that. Love needs to be a verb. And that's a higher standard. It's easier to do it when there's, you feel good. When, when I don't even know this guy and I'm doing something. This guy's a stranger and I'm doing something. That's a little bit different. Or when it gets into, as Jesus said, pray for your enemies. If, if your enemy comes against you, bless them, don't curse them. I'm ready to explode on this guy. <laughs> no, you're not. You're a believer. You're a Christian. You're learning a new way of living, how to be holy. And so we can't go around and want to get in a brawl with everybody every chance we get. Right? Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. So I'm reading it, and then I get to thinking, of course, the story, you know, whoever did this really needs some help. And I got to thinking about the Good Samaritan story. Most of us have an understanding about the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave in Luke 10. And here again, here's another example. They're coming to him talking about eternal life. And Jesus tells the scholar that eternal life is based on fulfilling the great commandment, which we've just been learning, love God, love people. Then the expert replies, well, who is my neighbor? you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor, the scholar says. And then Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, w- without going through, you can read the, the parable, or if you've got an uh, old videotape of Hanna-Barbera and the Good Samaritan, watch it. it. It's pretty true to the story. But there were a couple takeaways for me that I thought about. And one of them is be willing to get involved. I don't want to get involved. Get involved. You're a Christian. You need to be involved in the world. That's what being salt and light is all about. Right? Look, it's... It's one thing to quote scripture, to go to church, to praise the Lord, and tell others how much you love God. But unless we're willing to get involved by loving our neighbor, by being involved in the lives of others, we're missing the point. In the parable, right, there's two religious men in the parable. And as they're going by, the guy laying on the ground, half dead, they go on the other side. I don't want to get involved. But it turns out the Samaritan that was despised. 
Samaritans were despised, and there's a big, long reason why they were despised. The short story is when in the age of uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the Israel divided, and there were ten tribes of the north that separated from Judah and Benjamin and the Levites. And uh, they set up a second system, a second Jerusalem in Shechem. And the Jews looked upon that as blasphemy. That's why they'd walk all the way around Samaria. I'm not walking on tainted ground. And we could go on and on explaining all of that. We don't have time today. But because of that, Samaritans were despised. And yet, this Samaritan had compassion that went beyond looking at the natural. I don't like that. I don't like the look of that Jewish guy. Rather, he had compassion. Man's injured. He needed someone to care for him. And so he did. He cared for him, bound up his wounds, took him to the inn, and even paid for his stay. When he could have passed him by, who would have noticed? What, it's not, I don't know if you've ever been down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's desert. And there is a place there right outside Malayadomim where they believe was the inn. It's the Good Samaritan Inn. We actually, the first time I ever saw it, we went there with the mayor of Malayadomim, uh, Mayor Benny, and uh, he took us, he was so proud to show us the Good Samaritan, this, and there was a synagogue there, there was just all, and uh, we had a great time. But the Samaritan could have passed by just like the two religious guys. But instead, he acted on the word. The Samaritan studied the word. But they studied it differently than they did in Jerusalem. But he acted out his love for God. By loving that person. So, number one, be willing to get involved. Say amen. Amen. Number two, be willing to be generous. Right? The Samaritan guy didn't know how long the injured man would be laid up. But it does say that he was half dead. So it was more than an urgent care visit. (laughs) Right? But that really didn't matter. Whatever it was going to take, I'm going to make sure that everything's good for this guy. He didn't even know him. He's just a stranger. And it's interesting to know, and kind of a side note, something that comes up, and especially from the late great Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi uh, in England for many years, and he he, uh, passed away uh, uh, a year ago or so, he said that, isn't it interesting that God brings up in the Torah one time, love your neighbor, but 37 times he brings up, love the stranger. And that's what's going on here, right? The Samaritan, thank God, loved the stranger. Amen. 
And Jesus used that as a parable so that we today, right here in this moment, would connect some dots and realize, you know what? I need to be about my father's business, and my father's business includes loving others, even the stranger. Even if it's a Hatfields and McCoy deal. And that's what's going on with the Jews and the Samaritans. And thank God he not only had compassion, but he had some money. We don't often see that this tells us that prosperity, and when it's used the right way, is good. All those preachers want is to talk about prosperity. Well... Here's an example where in every person in this room, if you've got a little more coin in your pocket, you're able to be a little more of a blessing to somebody, even the stranger. When's the last time you walked into the Salvation Army and gave them 50 bucks and said, whatever you're doing here is working. You're helping the down and outer. Here's 50 bucks towards your cause. Amen. Be willing to be generous. Not sure how the story would have turned out if he was broke, busted, and disgusted. Right? But he did use that funds to be a blessing, and he used them to be a blessing to a stranger. So number one, get involved. Number two, be generous. And uh, uh, the, the third thing and the last thing, it's, uh, it's very appropriate, but it can be uncomfortable. Uh, be willing to reverse the curse of racism. He's a despised Samaritan. They are despised. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But this man rose above religious shallowness. What have you been learning all these years going to church. Have you been learning to love God more? That's the easy part. The Bible says uh, in 1 John 4, I believe, that if you say you love God, but don't bless and help and stand for your brother, you're a liar. And the truth is not. In other words, we're just playing church. God, give us a life-transforming mindset on this. He didn't see the Jewish man as an enemy or an adversary, but as someone made in God's image. Some rabbis think, well, this is the cardinal principle of Torah. Love God and love your neighbor. Others teach that it's you are made in the image and likeness of God. But they really both intersect. Because when you look at somebody, they are made in the image and likeness of God. doesn't matter if I'm white or black or brown or yellow or what background I come from. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And if I say I love God, oh, I love you, Lord, I lift my voice to you but then I don't want to sit next to somebody or attend church somewhere because there's too many of those kind. It's uncomfortable. No one here is uncomfortable because we've gotten beyond that. 
But if you look at today in today's political and racial climate, things are tense. And people are trying intentionally to make it tense. Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Prejudice, bias, discrimination, racism is judging others, despising others, hating others because of the color of their skin and their nationality. I'm superior because I'm a certain color? What's that? We're all created in God's image. So, but in the church, the church is still struggles with this. And we need to get beyond that. Break the curse of racism. Right? How can I look at somebody as a believer that says, I love God and I'm fulfilling the great commandment, but I look down on somebody because of their skin color? That's wrong. Racism is a sin. Let me repeat, racism is a sin. We're called to a lifestyle of love. We're just learning this, right? Not hate. How can I be, be, I'm a hateful Christian. Well, if you hate sin... Romans 12, 21 says, never let evil get the best of you. Instead, overpower evil with good. Racism is evil. Acts 17, 26 speaks of one cross for all colors. He is made from one blood every nation of men. Acts 17, 26. One cross... For all nations, for all if you're if you're not past racism, if you're concerned about who moves in next to you or who your daughter marries or uh, who's sitting next to you on a Sunday morning, Houston, we got a problem, right? And so don't buy in right now in this climate. Don't buy in to the idea that everything's racist. We ain't racist. New Beginnings is not racist. And there's many churches like us around America that are not racist. We're coming together with uh, uh, people from every background, every race, every nationality, serving the Lord, loving the Lord. We are all nations coming just like it will be in heaven. So don't let activists, the news media... Stir up strife and confusion and chaos and hatred and division. How many of you know who the accuser of the brethren is? Right? Satan. Father of all lies. And he's got a good one going right now. You can't, Martin Luther King said that you can't cast out hate with hate. Only love can cast out hate. So how am I going to use bitterness and animosity to overcome bitterness and animosity? How's that going to bring healing? 
The fact of the matter is, racism is a learned behavior. All right? And so is loving others. Right? Being kind is a learned behavior. For some, it's easier than others. Some of you have that gift of mercy. And you're just drawn to being merciful and, uh, and just releasing. Others, we, we got to work at it. Converting to Christianity has to include embracing loving your neighbor. If it doesn't, we miss the point. Well, my neighbor's black and I'm white. And so your point is? What, what's your point? They're made in God's image and likeness. Really, there's just two kinds of people in the world. Believers and unbelievers. Believers and people that are about ready to believe. All right? But during this 50 days, becoming a good, getting saved, becoming a Christian... You might have come into all of this like Archie Bunker. <laughs> all right? You're a real good bigot. Got a lot of learned behavior working there. I never had, I was talking with a brother at the men's breakfast uh, who's from Flint, Michigan, like I am. He's black, I'm white. And we both agree that if everyone would be like we were in Flint, Michigan when we were growing up, the world would be a better place. Because no one cared about black or white in Flint. Well, some, you know, there's always a segment. But by and large, we just cared about what school you went to. <laughs> we, we didn't like you or, or, or dislike you because you were black or white or somewhere. Some, you know, it's because you went to northern and I went to central. <laughs> Lydia uh, had a reunion uh, for her family here in Dallas uh, 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 two years ago, and uh, there was a reunion right next to us, and they were from Flint, Michigan. So I was hopping back and forth and talking to all people. I, didn't, I don't know any of them, but we're from Flint. We're the Flintstones. But they're not the same color as you. They didn't go to the same school. Who cares? Jesus said as we uh, end uh, our teaching today, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Amen? And then as Jesus concluded the parable of the Good Samaritan, he concluded it by saying this, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. What do you mean? Go and do what the Good Samaritan did. He put aside race. He put aside how much it costs. He put aside, I don't want to get involved. And he, he did the right thing, the godly thing, the holy thing. And it made it into the Bible. And now Jesus is saying, if you want to make the world a better place, go and do likewise. Can you say amen this morning? Amen and amen. Well, let's give the Lord a praise as we close.
We love you guys. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a great, great day. And enjoy standing with Israel. Woohoo!